0: Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for May the 13th. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Daniel, chapter number 5. Last week we left off there. We had just wrapped up chapter number 4, where we saw uh, King Nebuchadnezzar seemingly to make a true profession of faith, if you will. It looks like he genuinely repented, um, at least on the surface. Um I personally believe he did, Um, but then we come into chapter number five, and there is a gap of 20 years between chapter four and chapter number five. During that 20-year period, King Nebuchadnezzar passed away, and he was replaced by a succession of men who were moved by their enemies, and ultimately, uh, his grandson, Belshazzar, uh, was co-ruler with who is believed to be his father Nebonidus. Uh, Cyrus, the king of the Persians and nephew of King Darius, king of the Medes, was besieging Babylon here in chapter number 5. And as we mentioned last time, Belshazzar felt safe uh, apparently within the walls of the city. Um, <clears throat> apparently the city was supplied with enough food and water to withstand many years of a siege so as, as a result when we get into verse number 1 belshazzar the king uh, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand so for many scholars <clears throat> that doubted the book of daniel because they could never find anyone named belshazzar um uh, one day, Sir Rowlandson was doing some excavating around the Babylonian city and found the name Belshazzar. And once more, as we studied in our Word of God series, the archaeologist Spade proved the authenticity of the Bible. Um, if we look a little closer, we find that Belshazzar was not the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but the grandson. But many times in the Bible, it speaks of It'll say the word son instead of grandson. Uh, history tells us that he was co-regent. That means that he ruled alongside of his father. Where was Nebonitis during all of this? Apparently he was away with his army trying to stave off the, Medo, trying to stave off, uh, the Medo-Persian army. Uh, we'll see down in verse number 16. Uh, that he actually is going to offer Daniel to be third ruler in the kingdom, which makes sense since he was only the second ruler or the co-ruler in the kingdom. Now, the purpose of the feast, Belshazzar probably held this feast to show the Lord's how confident he was that Babylon would not fall to the enemy outside the gates. Well, while they're a party in, something happens. Look in verse number two belshazzar while he tasted the wine commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple notice the word his father Um, it could be just as accurately translated his grandfather Um, and had taken out of the temple which was in jerusalem that the king and his princesses wives and his concubines might drink therein And then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was at Jerusalem and the king and his princes and the wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine that praised the gods of gold and of silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. And in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand that wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. What we see here is Belshazzar is defiling the consecrated vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem. He was using those sanctified, set apart vessels as wine goblets. God was none too happy about this. Of course, this hand comes down and begins to write on the wall. And the Bible says that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. That means his knees knocked together. And it probably means that he had a bowel movement on himself. He was so scared. And last time we were together, uh, the Old Testament actually foretold of this event foretold that Babylon would fall to the Medo-Persian Empire, and even uh the details of Belshazzar. Uh, in Isaiah uh twenty-one, verse number two, uh it says, A grievous vision is declared unto me, the treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously, and the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam, and besiege, O media, all the sighing thereof have I made to cease. Therefore are my loins filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. My heart panted. Fearfulness affrighted me the night of my pleasure hath he turned into fear upon me. And then also in Isaiah 21, nine and behold, here cometh the chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods hath he broken to the ground. So the fall of Babylon was prophesied. Babylon was thought to be impregnable. It had walls, some 300 feet high, 80 80 feet thick, massive towers on it. Um, it's no wonder that Belshazzar felt so comfortable inside of these walls. I mean, they were impenetrable. He thought no way anyone could get inside of these walls. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar was out fighting fighting the armies of the Medes and the Persians. So he apparently felt quite comfortable with where he was in his situation. It is also said that there was a secondary wall, it wasn't quite as large, and the river Euphrates actually flowed through the middle, actually around and through the middle of the city. This turned out to be Babylon's weak point. Uh, history tells us that everyone in the palace was getting drunk, and they forgot to bolt the gates where the river entered through the city. And Darius, under the, during the siege, was able to divert the river Euphrates. And come up into the city from the river gates. Um, Amazing that they were just partying so hard that they didn't realize all of this was going on. They felt so comfortable. They felt like, you know, and of course they were drunk. They were unable to defend it. So, in spite of all of, in spite of all of its elaborate fornication, uh, fornications, sorry about that, and so I'm sure that was going on too. But despite of all of its elaborate fortifications, uh, Babylon had a weakness, and it was exploited by the Medes and the Persians. Now, notice in verse number seven, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon. Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. See there he offered the third ruler. He didn't have the authority to offer him second ruler because he was second ruler. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Notice the book has a lot of interpretation. The king Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, then his second dream, and now we're dealing with Belshazzar and this writing on the wall. Then was the king Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the word of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Not thy, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar, very close to Belshazzar, Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father brought out of jewelry. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in thee. It's interesting that Belshazzar apparently needed to be reminded by the queen uh, that Daniel even existed. So apparently Daniel, while he still held some kind of leadership or position, uh, he apparently was not in, he was not Belshazzar's first thought. Um, the king the queen had to remind him of him and now the wise men the astrologers have brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof but could not show the interpretation of the thing and i have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and with a chain of gold about thy neck And you shall be, excuse me, third ruler in the kingdom. Now, this queen is probably, from what I've studied, the mother of Belshazzar. At this time, Daniel had to be at least 90 years old, somewhere in there. Um, He was a teenager, the Bible says, when he and his companions were carried away into Babylon. So teenager, let's say 15 you know, 70 plus years have passed. I mean, that puts him at 85. So he was, he was definitely up in his, um, his mid to late eighties at least. And he had apparently been retired for some time because he was not known in Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's court. Uh, the queen mother, uh, spoke highly of Daniel Uh, She was probably old enough to remember what had happened. Um, She may have been one of the daughters of Nebuchadnezzar. We're just not sure, but she obviously had been around long enough that she remembered Daniel. Um, And even through all of this, she was able to remember him, remember what he had done and recommended him to Belshazzar. And then Daniel answered, because notice there in verse number 16, he offered him, I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read this writing and make known to be interpretation, you will be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be ruler in the kingdom. And notice Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I'll read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. In other words, Daniel is seemingly saying the gifts of God are not for sale. Uh, you don't owe me anything. I'm going to tell you exactly what uh, this says. And then Daniel begins to interpret. He says, O thou king, uh, most, uh, most high, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and a majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, would he slew, and whom he kept alive. Of whom he would set up, of whom he would put down. He's going over how powerful King Nebuchadnezzar was. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind was hardened in pride, so he's going back to chapter number four. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they gave his glory. They took his glory from him, notices, and they took his glory from him. Uh, you know, that they is he referring to uh, seemingly, it looks like he's referring to uh, the people in Babylon when the king lost his mind and he went out in the field and grazed like an animal. Um, his glory was taken from him. He was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him like the grass, like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart though thou knew all of this. So apparently Belshazzar was being held accountable because he knew about all of this. He may not have had a firsthand knowledge of all of this, but he knew about all of this. You see, Daniel was a faithful prophet. He preached to Belshazzar, which is a telling of the truth, a fourth telling. There's a, in the Bible, there is foretelling and there is forth telling foretelling foretelling um, is um the fourth talent foretelling is foretelling something that is previously hidden that was revealed by god fourth telling on the other hand, is just speaking the truth he is forth telling here he is giving truth to belshazzar he he, he is saying you should have known Uh, how the God of heaven was going to respond to something like this by looking back at your grandfather. You should have seen his pride and his insanity and the conversion that made him um, uh, the mistakes that he made. You should have learned by that. But instead, you're willfully defiant. See, that's the difference between sin and transgression in the Bible. Just side note here. Sin is just me. Mean, it just means to miss the mark. We all sin. All of us sin every day. We sin. We fall short. It, it speaks of a. It's an archery term. When the bow is pulled back in the quiver and it's let go, you want to hit the bullseye, but you fall short. It's not purposeful. It's. It's sin is different than a transgression. A transgression is where we get the word to trespass. It means you did it on purpose. It means you knew the right thing to do and you chose not to do it anyway. That's why in the Bible, in the Old Testament, transgressions were held in, in much more severity, much more accountability than sins. While sins were atoned for once a year, transgressions were dealt with immediately. And he's saying, and what we're seeing here is Belshazzar was knowingly, transgressing he knew what had happened to his grandfather he knew because of nebuchadnezzar's pride the insanity that came upon him and he was driven out and then his eventual conversion and realizing the god of heaven and yet belshazzar decided to overlook that and then notice in verse 23 but have lifted up thyself against the lord of heaven And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drank our drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand is thy breath and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. So he's saying, in spite of all of this, in spite of knowing this, you did it anyway. Belshazzar, his worship and love had been lavished on material things that were inanimate, and he ignored the God who sustained his life. Notice it says, in whose breath, in whose hand thy breath there is. That literally means that God held his breath. The Apostle Paul is talking and talking about God to the philosophers on Mars Hill said, I want to declare to you the unknown God. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. You know, God is a lot closer to people than they realize. I mean, if there's anything I see wrong in the church today, is that we need to be more aware or more conscious conscious of the presence of God. You know, he's everywhere. He sees everything. You remember uh, Jonah tried to run away from the presence of the Lord. You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Tarshish, you know, and he tried to run from the presence of the Lord. In Psalm 139, verse 7, King David said, Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I descend into hell, thou art there. If I take the wings and I flee into the othermost parts of the earth, even there you surround me. You see, God is not confined to one area. You know, we tend to think that God is in that brick building down at the corner of first and fifth and that he's waiting for us to show up. We call it the house of God. How about the world of God? How about the universe of God? God is everywhere. There is no place that God is not. We don't just go to where God is. We are always in the presence of God. And Belshazzar is forgetting this and Daniel reminds him in whose hand thy breath is. God is everywhere and he's here. And that's what Daniel is telling Belshazzar right here. And then in verse 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this is, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsan. This is the interpretation of the thing. And then he's going to begin to tell the king exactly what these words mean. And he says, Mene means numbered. And notice it says, Mene, Mene, which means numbered, numbered. You know, Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So it literally means there God is keeping count. <laughs> he knows the score and he says numbered, numbered. And then in verse 27, tekel thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. So in other words, you've been numbered and you have been weighed and you have been weighed and found wanting. In other words, you have come up short. God is keeping score and you've come up short. And then verse 18, Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So the word Perez uh, means divided. So you've been numbered numbered weighed and divided so ufarson is the plural of peres which means divided so the plural was used because babylon was going to be divided by both the medes and the persians your kingdom is divided and then notice in verse 29 then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And history tells us in the next verse, in that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. That very same night. So you know, Daniel was third ruler in the kingdom, at least for a couple of hours. <laughs> and we know that that very night, Darius diverted the river Euphrates when the soldiers of Babylon were drunk. The drunken soldiers had apparently neglected to bolt the gates. So Darius and his men were able to get into the city despite... The elaborate fortifications, in spite of the huge walls, in spite of the interior walls, Darius was able to come right up into the middle of the city through the unbolted gates. And in verse 31, and Darius the Midian, took the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Uh, in the old King James, it used the word three score. A score is 20 So three score would be 60 and two, 62 years old. It's not that hard if you just slow down and know what the numbers mean. And then we're introduced to chapter number six. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. So in the last chapter, mighty Babylon has fallen just as the hand of God had written on the wall. And Daniel, just as he had interpreted it at Belshazzar's feast, it's like the old preacher. There was an old preacher, Bascom Ray Lakin, B.R. Lakin. He's actually buried right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, at Liberty University. Uh, I remember one of his last sermons that I heard him preach. He said, Belshazzar... Was a, fa- was a He should have been a fasting instead of a feasting. Uh, instead of throwing a party, he should, be, he should have been throwing himself at the feet of Almighty God. And history tells us on October the 12th, 539 BC, King Cyrus and the Medo-Persian army did what no one thought could be done. They got through the mighty walls of Babylon. And again, remember these walls, 350 feet, feet high, 86 feet thick, uh, thick, surrounded by the Euphrates River. They had enough food inside the city historically for t- to withstand a 20-year siege. So that meant that as the Medo-Persian army began to choke them off, they began to starve within the city. And while they're choking them off, obviously they were coming up with a plan to get up inside of the city. And they did throw did so through what was called the water gate. Interesting here, I put none of that stopped the army of Cyrus for two reasons. Number one, God had already spoken through his prophet Jeremiah. And Isaiah, as we previously pointed out, that Babylon would fall. The prophet Jeremiah had 60 years earlier prophesied that Babylon would fall under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. In Jeremiah 27, 7 and 8, and all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. That means they're going to get rid of him. And it will come to pass that the nation and the kingdom, which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. That nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with famine and with pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Uh, Even more incredible is that 300 years before the fall of Babylon, it was prophesied by Isaiah that Cyrus, would be the one that God would use to bring judgment on Babylon. In Isaiah 44:28, it says, That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to thy temple thy foundation shall be laid." And we know that historically, he is the one that gave the command. We're going to find in Daniel chapter number nine to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the foundation would be laid again, prophesied years, 300 years before by the prophet Isaiah. And then Isaiah 45, then saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leafed gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and I will make the crooked places straight. I will break the pieces, the gates of brass, and cut and asunder the, barns, the bars of iron." Of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. All of this happened. All of this was prophesied. Interestingly, before we move to the next verse, and I can't get around this because every time I study this, the subject comes up. Uh, Who was Darius? I mean, we know we, when we go back and we look at uh, Daniel's or King Nebuchadnezzar's dream the, of the huge statue that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. But then it came down to the chest and the two arms and the two arms represent the Medo-Persian Empire coming together to defeat the Babylonian Empire. Now, there's basically two views in regards to who Darius was. Some conclude that Darius was just another name for Cyrus. And they look at verse 28, which says, So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In other words, it almost sounds like he's describing the same person there. Uh, So they would say that Darius and Cyrus were the same person. However, some would argue that it should actually read, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, even in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So it depends on how that verse is translated. The second view is that they were not one and the same person, but Darius was simply someone who Cyrus had put in charge of Babylon before heading back to Persia. So I believe that it's two different people, but but I could be wrong. I mean, I I think it's two different people, but some people say that it's just the same person. Um, you know, something for, for more study for sure. Um, and then notice in verse number two, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account to him and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princesses because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. These verses tell us that the king, this is now the new king of the Medo-Persian Empire, had set up princes and satraps to rule over the kingdom. And over these, the king placed three presidents of whom Daniel was the first. I find it amazing, I find it amazing that Daniel or that Darius would choose someone out of the old administration to oversee his newly conquered territory. I got a little note here. I think Trump learned that lesson. Uh, That doesn't work very well. But apparently, the only reason that we can see is that an excellent spirit was in him. In other words, Darius saw something special about Daniel that set him apart from everybody else, and he put him over the three presidents that were to rule over his kingdom. And then notice in verse number four, then the president's And the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now we see the jealousy that ensued from the other presidents and princes. Their motivation could have been fear, because there's no doubt that Daniel's reputation had preceded him. I mean, after all, God reveals things to this guy. He might be able to see their dreams as well. That's a scary thought. Maybe that's why they were afraid of him. Maybe there was a little bit of, um, I guess, racism or against him because he, he was still a Jew. He was not a Mede. He was not a Persian. He wasn't a Chaldean. Maybe they had some hostility toward him because of him being a jew or like i said maybe they were just afraid he could interpret their dreams (laughs) and then notice verse number five then said these men we shall not find any occasion against this daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his god then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto the king King, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statue. So this tells you there's a difference in the rule of the Medo-Persian kings than in Nebuchadnezzar's rule where he had all power, all say. He slew who he slew, he he saved who he saved. But yet here we see the presidents and the princes are coming up with their own royal statutes. So they've consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask any petition of any god or man for 30 days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now we come to that infamous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And he says, now, o king, they say, now, o king, establish the decree, sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law, of the Medes and the Persians, which alter, altereth not. Wherefore, king dummy Darius signed the decree, the writing and the decree. So here we see the old what I call the old king live forever trick. They knew that they could not trap Daniel out of their jealousy, their hostility, their negativity toward Daniel. They knew that the only way they could trap him, the only way that they could trip him up was concerning the law of his God. And they obviously knew what Daniel did three times every day. And they knew that it was the only way that they were going to be able to trap him. And of course, they appealed to Darius's flesh to get him to sign the decree. Oh, king, live forever. And the Bible makes it very clear that we should always beware of flattery. The writer of Proverbs says, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. They were setting the king up, and they were setting Daniel up. They wanted to destroy Daniel. Daniel because they were jealous of Daniel they hated Daniel they did not want this Jew they did not want this foreigner to rule over them and our time is gone next time we get together we'll get down into verse number number 10 and we'll see what old Daniel did in response to this decree well God bless you guys I hope you're you're enjoying our study through the book of Daniel and uh, I pray that God is blessing you. Uh, I pray that you'll always remember how much He loves you, wants the best for you, and He's working all things out for your good.